Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing war in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hi, my name is Irina Zabrisky and I'm an American journalist based in Ukraine. I'm talking to you from Odessa and the sound you hear in the background is the sound of an air raid siren. As I'm starting my first podcast with you, it goes on just as it was last night for a few hours and the night before that, and the night before that. This is the reality of life here in Ukraine. You hear the voice in the background suggesting that everybody goes to the shelter. My shelter is way too far from my office and my apartment, so I'm staying here and I will continue our show. Now that I moved back to the relative quietness of the office, which is, by the way, between two walls, there's a rule here, when the air raid is on and you can't go to the shelter, go to a place where you have two walls between you and the window so you don't get injured by the shattered glass. Welcome again. Thank you for choosing to spend time with us. I am so excited to greet you to our first show. Let me tell you what I will strive to achieve here. The public in the global community, and this means you, yes, you, have a crucial role in the course of this war. And where do you get your information to form your opinions? You get it from the reports of the journalist based in Ukraine and elsewhere. At the end of the day, your opinions form the policy of your elected government that is in democratic countries. Foreign journalists have an enormous responsibility and ability to shape public perception of the Russian war of aggression in Ukraine. Our reporting and your decisions based on this reporting influence international policy decisions. The aid packages and weapons supplied to Ukraine depend on the accuracy of our reports. Lives of hundreds of thousands in Ukraine depend on it. And let me tell you something. After almost two years of being in Ukraine, because I was working here before the full-scale invasion started in February 2022, I've noticed something. Due to the limited access to accurate information, inadequate presence on the ground, linguistic challenges, cultural differences, reliance on biased sources, journalists often unintentionally convey inaccurate or sometimes misleading narratives. And many times it happens because while reporting on situational minutiae provides valuable real-time information, it does, but it is not balanced with comprehensive analysis, context, 
or attention to the broader aspects of the war. What happens is that focusing excessively on every little detail and obsessing with them when reporting on war can lead to a loss of context, and it makes it difficult for the audience to understand the broader geopolitical, historical, social factors contributing to the war and to the big picture. And that stops us from thinking strategically. And while emphasizing individual events over the overall picture could be good, when used excessively, it creates a distorted image of the war. And it also desensitizes you, the audience, and us, journalists, to the inhumane horror that this war really is. So here in this program, we will invite Ukrainians, politicians, experts, scientists, musicians, literary scholars, artists, economists, experts who spend their life researching this region. And we will strive for giving you the broader picture so you can take the right decisions based on being informed and at the end of the day, influence your government to take the right course of action. Yesterday's brutal attack on Kostantinivka killed 17 civilians. This was confirmed by the Ukrainian National Police. It was in the middle of a busy market. Among the victims, there were nine men and seven women, ranging in age from 18 to 83 years old. Among those killed, there were whole families. There was a couple. They grew and sold flowers in the kiosks. There was the mother of school-age girls. The police have ruled out the use of artillery and are now investigating various weapon-related possibilities, wrote a Kostantinovka resident in a local social media group. They are attacking us and they want to come here and they are not wanted. I'm uh, Irina Sherdo. I come from Konstantinovka, but uh, at the outbreak of uh, the war in uh, 2014, I had to relocate, of course, and uh, I came here to Odessa. Uh, you just said Konstantinovka, and I know that this is not the way that the name of this town is pronounced in Ukrainian. Yeah, Kostantinivka, and for sure uh, I would prefer my uh, town to be called Kostantinivka, but uh, I know that you are a foreigner, maybe it's difficult for you to pronounce, that's why I used the name which is more known uh, worldwide, uh, and especially unfortunately now it, it is known. We believe that it is very important for the whole world, doesn't matter where we're from, to respect the Ukrainian pronunciation and Ukrainian language. Kostantinivka. Kostantinivka. Yeah, so it's uh, we usually transliterate it like why, yeah? Kostantinivka. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. This is an important lesson. I understand that your parents were there yesterday. Uh, can you just share a few words? What have you heard from your parents and your friends? Uh, actually, uh, the attack started with uh, some missiles uh, in the private sector. First, uh, they uh, bombarded the private sector and there were several uh, houses destroyed that uh, didn't go on the news because unfortunately that has become a commonplace. You know, it's. Uh, 
okay, it's nothing astounding, let's say, you know, that that, that happens uh, basically every day because uh, when we talk about the outskirts of the city, there is private sector and uh, so missiles um, lay there daily, on a daily basis. And But uh, the worst uh, thing for sure that happened uh, is uh, that uh, rocket attack and uh, uh, lots of casualties, unfortunately, lots of casualties. And uh, among my acquaintances, we have, uh, unfortunately, some people who died uh, and uh, this is a disaster. Really. So it's you, heartbreaking. I'm so sorry to hear that, Irina. So you actually knew some people who um, perished yesterday? Yeah. My sister studied at school with uh, some girl, and uh, these are the parents of this girl, both but, mom and dad. Oh, did they sell flowers? Yeah. I did my research, I found them. Yeah, I saw their faces and the photographs. Uh, I don't know, disheartening, really disheartening. Kostantinovka is located in the eastern industrial region of Donetsk Oblast, and it had a uh, estimated pre-war population of 70,000. Uh, it's really close to Bakhmut, very close to front line. One time our film crew got under shell in there and our director and cameraman Colin Robertson never let go of the camera. So this episode is a part of the documentary Under Deadly Skies. Right now, my colleagues Katie Livingstone and Paul Conroy are reporting from the ground. Just arrived at the bomb site. It is mostly cleared away of debris in the road now. But of course, the many buildings, many shops are totally bombed out. It'll take, take a while to clean those up. There's broken glass and... some of the broken glass that uh, just came out fifth floor window yet to be cleaned up uh, I was actually just walking along an adjacent street adjacent to where the, the center of the blast hit and a big piece of glass fell out of a window on the fifth floor and uh, scared a couple people that were nearby including myself so it's still a bit of a dangerous area but most of the most of the road has been cleared. There are police and, and some other workers uh, still trying to sweep things up. I don't think this, this market will be back to life anytime soon. What horror, what horror. Yeah, well, yesterday the missile flew in and people died. They were burning alive. Who did it? Who did it? Putin did it. Russia did it. Russia is killing peaceful people. Just imagine innocent people, people who were not guilty of anything, young people died. This 
This is where they were selling shawarma and sausages and piroshkis. And everybody was selling everything here. Coffee, tea. It's horrible. It's really horrible. Okay, well, I'm here at the scene of yesterday's um, bomb attack, rocket attack on the market. And just from the, you know, reading the signs and from what I know about previous attacks, there's no obvious crater, which leads me to the suspicion that it was a kind of an S-300 anti-aircraft rocket, ballistic rocket that has been repurposed to hit the ground. There's a lot of that goes on in Ukraine at the moment. There's a lot of shrapnel, and that that's also indicative of the of it being an anti-air missile. Which its sole job is to create a funnel of shrapnel that will take down an aircraft. Um, and when you find that at the ground, you don't get a telltale crater as you would with a, with a kind of cruise missile loaded with high explosives. So, I mean, that's my that's my analysis. Seems to be borne out by the amount of shrapnel around and the lack of any obvious point of impact. Over 30 people were injured in the busy market square. Six injured are now in critical condition at a hospital in Dnipro. They have suffered severe injuries, including head trauma, chest, abdominal and limb injuries, and have undergone multiple surgeries. Medical teams are working tirelessly to save their lives. There's a complex surgery on a 48-year-old woman. The doctors will be removing a fragment lodged in a cerebral vessel. President Zelensky called the attack a heinous evil. And the prime minister said there will be fair retribution. Russia has not provided any official comments. It is worth mentioning that the deadly attack took place during the fourth visit of U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken to Ukraine. During his visit, Secretary Blinken announced a new U.S. aid package for Ukraine, totaling over $1 billion. The package includes $665 million designated for civilian security and $175 million allocated for weapons. Additionally, Ukraine is set to receive depleted uranium ammunition for Abrams tanks. In the aftermath of the attack, Russia launched 33 airstrikes on Ukraine, both air and ground-launched missiles and drones. Ukrainian air defense forces intercepted these attacks in Kiev and Odessa Oblast overnight. In the town of Ismail near Odessa, there were attacks for nearly three hours. Unfortunately, that also resulted in a mortal injury. at the biggest volunteer center in Ukraine, in Odessa, speaking to Mykola Viknyansky, the founder of Hostina Hata Center and the advisor to the mayor of Odessa. Uh, hi, Nika. As you and I know, Russians have been targeting Ukrainian river ports five nights in a row. So they do it to hinder grain exports 
do you think that uh, these actions could be seen as the Kremlin's non-verbal response to the Turkish president to negotiate the grain deal? First of all, thank you for inviting. And uh, I don't think we can recognize it as a response to Erdogan. This is a response to the whole world. Putin wants to show that he ignores all the problem which can be like in the face of uh, the world when we will see the lack of uh, food and he shows that for him it doesn't matter he will do what he will do but and so of course we suffer and we have a lot of problem with export of rain because of destroying our infrastructure but the more important thing is not even destroying infrastructure but uh, there is no shipping companies which are still gives their ships for entering to the our port in Dunia. this is the biggest problem that now we just will not have enough ships so because uh, insurance company are not covered these damages they may have after bombshelling but anyhow we will still export and i think the be the best way is just to ignore mr putin and ignore what he wants and i think one day nato must make a decision to escort our vessels with their battleships and this is the best way how to deal with it Right, well, this is a great solution. There are also alternative solutions being offered. For instance, these assaults have prompted Romanian President Klaus Johannes to emphasize the need to reinforce alternative transportation going through railroad. Uh, do you think this is feasible? It's feasible, but unfortunately, they can start uh, bomb sharing our railroads. What they what they do all the time, but and they can target it. This is the first thing. But other thing is uh, all the alternative transportation ways uh, means that our farmers and our like agricultural businessmen have uh, less and less money because you know the prices in the world market are a little bit higher than it used to be. But at the same time, so. The more money we pay for transportation, the less money we live in Ukraine. What is the impact of these attacks on Odessa Oblast currently? The impact mostly the economical. Unfortunately, we have, we have casualties, but uh, the biggest problem is economical problem because there are a lot of people involved for the agriculture business and export grain. And this is this is a really big problem for us. And also, the big, one of the biggest problems also is the ecological problem. Because, you know, when we export everything using trucks, our ecology suffer. And now we can even smell hard smell of diesel trucks in our air. Yeah, we will need to be addressing the ecological yeah. uh, disaster or ecocide, yeah. ecocide uh, yeah. in our shows. I know that you were, we may say, primary force in inscribing Odessa on UNESCO a heritage, a world heritage list. And this was very important, you told me in the past, 
In case of the attacks by the aggressor, uh, there could be evidence compiled and there could be a lawsuit and then the country of aggressor will be uh, obliged to pay for the damages incurred. Is it possible to start this process already? Yes, it's, it has started already. Our diplomats are working with this process and I think we will take them to the court, the international court, soon. And I believe and there is no any doubts that uh, we will have all the funds from them to rebuild everything, to restore everything and to bring uh, the Odessa its face as it must be. That's why I saw that. There, there is no doubt. And we have, we have a strong support from at least now two European countries who are uh, helping us to, to, to manage it. This is Greece and Italy. What are the advantages, briefly, of Odessa being a part of the World Heritage List? The, the bigger thing is, uh, as for me, Russia all the time insists that we are Russian. But UNESCO, you know, this is a cultural organization, which is a thing and, uh, and cultivate culture, uh, education. Uh, since we recognize it's a UNESCO site, it, it, it means that we recognize as our own culture. We have, we have Ukrainian roots, we have our multicultural roots, and we are not Russian. This is, this is like, this is an evidence now. And speaking about the uh, hybrid war, uh, the information warfare, because insisting or imposing a different identity uh, is one of the Kremlin's strategies yeah. of genocide, we know uh, that last year, during the attacks on the uh, critical infrastructure in Ukraine, Odessa was hit one of the worst and we suffered a lot here from uh, the blackouts. And at the time, uh, the Russians were pushing the information campaign in social media, uh, trying to sow discord and distrust to the authorities and provoke people to go out in the street and also promote uh, the Russian invasion. But they did not succeed. And now we see that they are starting to prepare for the same campaign, same psyop, psychological operation, uh, even before the heating season starts. Can you comment on that? And is there awareness of that at the uh, mayor's office and city authorities? And what are the steps that you are taking? I believe that there is only one way how to stay against propaganda. It's just saying true. It's nothing else. That's why we still say true, we still broadcast our opinion, we still uh, broadcast the situation in real Ukrainian life in Odessa. And there's only one thing we can do. Because we, if we start working as they are and we start our own propaganda, then we can turn to be Russian and we can stay in the, in the side of evil. So that's why I think uh, we have to explain our people, we have to support our people, but, and we understand that we will suffer. And, and we expect that this winter will be even worse than last one. But what, 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 what can we do? This is our war. Right. There is, there is not, we, we cannot avoid it, because our enemy is more powerful, they have more uh, missiles, they have more drones, they have more people, they have more everything. And finally, uh, for us, just to, 
to win this war, we must have everything, uh, at least not less than they are. Here I have a question that kind of ties in everything that you have just mentioned, the Russian missiles, um, the evil, uh, the spirit, and what Odessa and Ukraine can hold on to during these hard times, and that's uh, culture. So many exhibits and so many performances, ballet, opera, jazz, going on during the war here. Uh, recently, you were involved in a cultural project, very important one. Uh, you were a project manager for Mikhail Reva's exhibit called The Study of Evil. It's monumental sculpture and it opened recently in the Museum of Arts in Odessa. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, of course. The first of all, I want to uh, my statement is that only culture makes people different. There is no other different because the color of our skin or maybe our like nationality, but not political nationality. I mean, like historical nationality, our blood. We are the same because in Odessa we have one hundred thirty-three different nations. One hundred thirty-three nationalities. Nationalities, yes, but we all Ukrainians. So, and what is, makes our, us different from Russian is a culture. That's why I cultivate our culture and support our culture and defend our culture is the most important thing. Because only one thing wants Russia is destroy our culture and bring here their culture. And that's why supporting cultural projects like UNESCO or just exhibition with Mikhail Reva or somebody else, this is quite important for me. This is the first thing. Other thing, the second, is that the art, but the culture is very, very wide entity. It concerns a lot of things. It's not only for art. The culture is bigger. But art is, uh, from my point of view, this is the best language which can explain a lot of things which we cannot explain each other using our mouths. Because art hit us directly to our hearts. And that's why, if, if, if we address to your previous question, how to stay against propaganda. Art works against propaganda, because it explains what's really going on. And our project with Mikhail Reva, study of USU, translated study of it, but I think it is not really study it's like scrutiny because we we just we just study and screen this through the microscope we, we just we want to understand the anatomy and the nature of evil so and when we open it for our society and for worldwide society everybody understand that evil can have different bodies different looks and different nationality can turn to evil. And that's why we have to stay against the evil first of all. And this this is about this project this is very important and we invite everybody to visit and to support this project because after seeing these uh, sculptures, I think everybody is in a mentality and would understand what's really going on here. Sculptures are made of the debris and parts and fragments of Russian bombs, missiles, mines and so on. And each part of the sculpture was made to kill, for example, me. 
personally, they wanted to have this part of sculpture in my body. It just uh, shows you how everything is interconnected here because in our earlier story today, Konstantinovka, uh, Shellen, we spoke about the 48-year-old woman who is probably uh, undergoing surgery now in the Dnipro hospital where a fragment of such is being surgically removed from her body. Yes, that's what I mean. Can you speak about your charity? This is a BS Volunteer Center. We own that volunteer center to help IDPs. Uh, one year ago, it was 26th of March last year. And since this, that time, we have uh, spread humanitarian aid to more than 200,000 fam Ukrainian families there who unfortunately internally displaced people. We help with logistics. We are volunteers and we help to distribute this charity, but charity we get from throughout the world. We create the biggest Ukrainian volunteer center to support IDPs. And we now listed in the Ukrainian records book. Well, congratulations. And we can see right outside of the window uh, the, the, the big, big line of people right now as we speak, uh, waiting for receiving the humanitarian aid. And it's a very moving sight. Thank you, Nico. Thank Slava you. Slava You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Here we are with Oksana Teranenka, film and opera director, an opera director at Odessa National Academic Opera and Ballet Theatre, who directed recently a wonderful production of the Ukrainian opera Katerina. Oksana, thank you so much for being here. And can you please speak about culture in Ukraine and culture globally being weaponized by the Kremlin as a tool of hybrid war, how does it influence the world of opera and ballet? Thank you, and thank you for having me, and thank you for being focused on such a invisible weapon, which is being used quite widely and broadly by our enemies. My personal point, but I mean, I'm probably not hugely supported in that, that we need, Ukraine need to apply cultural sanctions. What do I mean by that? As this war is hybrid war, which means another front is informational front, there is huge amount, as you said, like avalanche of fake information about Ukraine. At, and at the same time, this expansion of Russian culture has been made like for years, for centuries. First the Russian Empire, then the Soviet Empire. They were uh, also budgeting this themselves very much. Just very small example, a year ago, when aggression just started, I fled to Europe with my family and I found myself in Lausanne, in Switzerland. And they were premiering Evgeny Onegin by Tchaikovsky. And of course, my first question was, how can you do that? 
while Ukrainians are being killed. And they say, well, this is like $100,000 at least for the new production. And also all the solace are being paid by Gazprom. And Gazprom is both Russia's and the world's largest natural gas company owned by the Russian state, which is important here. We cannot just refuse because money are already accepted, etc., etc. And then I realized when I was trying to dig more that behind every name, behind every festival, behind every production which is being done with Russian repertoire, in, in particularly in opera and ballet, there is always Gazprom money. So this so-called greatness is well paid. This kind of corruption is now everywhere. And the, the sad point about that is that the world, the people, the uh, mentality, they kind of feel themselves very much connected with this Russian culture and all great Russian ballet, all great Tchaikovsky, or how we cannot now not listen to Rachmaninoff, or we need that. This is part of our culture as well. Another tragedy is that many Ukrainian names became Russian known names such as Malevich or Stravinsky, because they are also ethnically Ukrainians or Jewish Ukrainians, Crimean Tatar or Jewish people. They are also Ukrainian because their motherland for many generations was Ukraine and their culture as well was kind of flourishing in Ukraine. But all these people and all these names in the times of empire were attributed to empire. So now explaining everyone that, look, this is Ukrainian mind, or this is Ukrainian talent, or this is Ukrainian composer. Yeah, for the Western people, this that means nothing. But for us, this is a huge thing because to Russian culture, we are donors. And the moment now is that we want to say, to say like, stop, not anymore. We are not going to be being used, being misused. We are not going to feed you with our people, with our talents, with our thoughts, with our intellects, etc., etc. And that's why the war is going on, because that's why they are trying to tell, like, you are, you don't exist. That's why I consider my job, my big work, like, for all my life, the mission is to show that Ukraine exists through culture, through the art, through the music. The world opera industry is full of Ukrainian voices. Ukraine is famous, such as is Italy, with the talent for singing. But there is no Ukrainian opera, not a one, not a single, in any opera house in the world ever being staged, ever. And now, this year of my life, this year of the war, I'm knocking every door. I'm going to opera associations. I'm writing letters. I'm doing whatever I can to, to tell them, like, take one opera into the repertoire. Because through the opera, through the music, people will understand more who we are. And maybe more sympathy and more, you know, empathy will come more through the art. Just do it. And we are booked. We are booked. We are booked. I'm sorry. We are booked. There is so much to detangle here. We are basically looking at the colonial war. And we are also talking about the decolonization of Ukrainian culture. We are talking about making more prominent the Ukrainian national identity through culture. Also, you in this short interview already shared financial 
ties and how they influence cultural productions and at the end of the day, mentality of the global community. And we are talking about operas and ballets becoming the tools of political influence here. In terms of practical steps, what kind of measures could be taken to ensure transparency in the funding sources of cultural productions of opera and ballet? How could we track this money? There are names that earn, such as Netrebka. So she is welcomed in many opera houses because she's just herself. Let's give some context to our audience who might not know that the Russian opera singer Anna Netrebka recently this week has been allowed to perform in Berlin. And there's been a big scandal connected with that uh, because it's also known that she openly supported Putin and was decorated by him personally in the Kremlin. Well, Ukraine had seven opera houses in the whole country. One of them was in Donetsk. Uh, when in 2014 they captured Donetsk, Nitrebka was the first one who came and supported so-called Donetsk People's Republic. I mean, she was not obliged to do it. She has chosen to go there and support this. So they take Russian side. For me, as a representative of Ukrainian opera, that was very painful. And there are many details that, for example, everything that the theater had was destroyed by Russian missile. And the general director of the Donetsk opera at that time died from heart attack at the same time. Russian singer comes and supports this poor theater. So one hand, is destroying another hand is uh, showing their support which is hypocrisy and now this woman who supports terrorist attack and like capturing the city she is the one who is earning money so uh what uh, you are saying Oksana it is unethical and it also normalizes uh, the war of invasion and the destruction legitimizes legitimizes Yes, it does. By allowing singers, artists like Nitrebka function normally in the situation when the murder continues on a daily basis, makes this war of invasion legitimate. Do you think once Ukraine wins and once the Russian Federation pays reparations, because we, we know that they must do it, do you think after that, the performances of the Russian uh, ballet and opera should be allowed. My point is that as world apply, some countries apply economical sanctions to Russia. What is the logic behind it to apply sanctions, to push people to stop the war? Yes, like I had a float planes, they are not allowed in Great Britain. So all these steps are to, just to stop the war. So my biggest aim is to stop the war as soon as possible. Because as you said, yes, people are dying every day, not on the battlefield, but, you know, in the peaceful cities as well. So stopping in using Russian art and Russian names in positive connotation is also cultural sanction. Just, just imagine every Russian name is forbidden now. Maybe that will allow people to think that something is wrong with this country. Something is wrong with this culture, because if behind every culture, there are some certain values that they manifest. So if they manifest this kind of values that allow to now what they do, the aggression they do, so probably we have to rethink this culture. We have to stop, to ban it, at least for the moment of Ukrainian victory. And yet, after the victory and all the reparations, we will then 
have the equal situation for any culture to flourish without context that some culture is like default greater than any other which is not correct. I can't agree with you more, Oksana. After working as a reporter in Ukraine, I've seen things that didn't even need to convince me that something is grossly wrong in the mentality of the Russian Federation and perhaps in its history, and that there needs to be a process similar to the process that Germany went through after World War II. So I can talk to you forever. And I really wanted to also speak about your amazing opera, Katerina, which I've seen many times and which I love and wrote about it and reported about it. I just want to encourage everybody to watch Ukrainian productions, performers, find out more. This weekend, I saw the new production of the ballet, Thumbelina, and it was absolutely marvelous. I wrote about it for Euromaidan Press, and we will be sharing some links on the social media so you can check it out on your own. Thank you so much, Oksana, and I hope we speak again soon. And Slava Ukraine! Thank you. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.